We cannot direct the wind, but we can adjust the sails. Dolly Parton once said that, or at least we think she said it. And if you find yourself these days trying to adjust and readjust the sails of your life as you face this fierce wind called COVID-19, then guess what? You have come to the right place. A podcast called Everyday Wonder, a virtual place where all of us can take a breath, check in on each other, and have the kinds of conversations we'd like to have. but can't have because, well, you know, all the bars and cafes are shut down. I'm Brett Will Taylor, and I am here with my Everyday Wonder co-host, Renee Peck. Hello, Brett Will. Nice to nice to hear from you again. Hello, Renee. Um, you know, this is the first episode of our second season, and it looks nothing like um, you and I imagined it. But of course, what is like we imagined it these days, right? Um, you know, we, Renee and I wanted to use this season to get into some age-old questions about place and identity, as well as some new ones like, is it really possible to have a civil conversation with someone who's possible? politics you think are utterly insane. And maybe one day we'll get to have those conversations. But for right now, we felt like it's right and true and honest to just talk about the one thing all of us are talking and thinking and feeling about, and that's COVID-19. We're going to do that in some new ways, like recording remotely. Um, I, right now, am sitting in my study in Plano, Texas. Renee, you are ensconced in, where are you in Mississippi? I am in past Christiane, Mississippi, at a house we have on a canal where I can sit on my porch and and swing on my swing and pretend that uh, none of this is happening. Well, that's lovely. I'm in the suburbs, which I I wish I could pretend like that wasn't happening. Um, Renee and and I are also joined in the spirit of doing things in a new way with a new producer whose name is Daryl Rollo and who joins us from just north of New Orleans um, on the other side of the lake. Daryl, hi. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's definitely a weird time to come on to the crew, but uh, we're, we're making it work. We are indeed. We are indeed. We're doing it remotely. While we're doing some things new, we thought we'd kick off this episode by doing something all of us do all the time, but that seems to have taken on a special meaning these days. And that is to simply ask, how are you doing? And Daryl, since you're the new member of our family, let's start with you. How are you doing? I'll be honest with you. I was a little bit on a social distancing plan before this ever started. So things haven't changed all that much for me. Um, I've kind of been a homebody for a while now and doing this digital stuff like I do. So I'm kind of guiltily thriving in this right now. (laughs) Good for you. Exactly. And Renee, are you guiltily thriving right now? How are you doing? Not at all. Uh, You know, I'm... (laughs) I'm kind of the opposite of Daryl. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of suffering from whiplash. Uh, and I think a lot of us are feeling that way. Uh, the exterior world went from zero to 60 in a matter of days. New Orleans had zero cases, then one case on a Monday. And by that Friday, the world had changed. Um, and it's been changing fast ever since. You blink your eyes, the world is different. Uh, so it seems like we went from standstill to catastrophic speed 
in terms of what the virus was doing to change our worlds. But at home, I went from 60 to zero because in my before life, I was busy. I was out all the time. I was uh, on any given day meeting writers, having coffee with friends, picking up my grandkids from school. So while the virus was suddenly speeding up, my personal life was grinding to a halt. Yep, I hear you. You know, so in a way, COVID-19 has flattened the curve of your social schedule and, oh, oh, and it's, professional it's, life. It's, it, it, yes, it's flattened is not the word. I think annihilated it. Is, you know, if we could do to COVID-19 what the, this did to my social life, we would be in great shape. <laughs> well, there you go. I like that. I like that. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I haven't mentioned her yet, um, but as we go into season two, and I think she's especially close to our three hearts these days, um, I should mention, of course, our forever guest, uh, which is the city of New Orleans, um, who is not doing that great these days. On one hand, um, on one hand, she is New Orleans and more resilient than I think any of us could ever hope to be. And, and we're going to talk about that resilience towards the end of the episode. But but I think it is important for the three of us. I mean, Daryl, you'll you're just across the lake from her and and Renee for for you and I and all of our listeners to just to just pause a moment and um, think of think of New Orleans uh, who has been so so hard hit not only health wise but economically wise by this and uh, and hope that she is doing well again soon. Her, her social life is not doing so well either. Her social life is not doing so well, but I would imagine <laughs> there are still some uh, to-go cups being passed inside. Um, uh, you know, as, as for me, I have to say, I feel like, you know, my headline is it, my life feels like it's turned around. I used to travel a great deal. I am now homebound, um, home being uh, the old family home in Plano, Texas. Um, when I was, when I am home, I'm used to seeing my mom who lives in assisted living every single day. Now I can't see her at all because she's quarantined. So I have to sneak drives by her window and wave at her. Um, I'm used to not seeing my partner at all because he's gone even more than I am, 28 of every 30 days. Um, and now he is here all the time. We're having a lot of togetherness, uh, the two of us plus our dog, more than we've had in about three years. Um, and I must say it's going pretty well. It's good to know that, um, you know, uh, we still love each other and, and like each other, though I have to say I the only um, possible uh, uh, unpleasant moment we had was on Sunday when he was um, clearing the dishes after dinner and went to wipe down our table with 409. Um, and uh, when I asked him what in the hell he was doing spraying 409 on our table, um, he explained that 409 is good for surfaces. Um, and I pointed out that our table is a cherry wood table that's been in the family about 70 years, um, to which he simply looked at me and said, well, isn't that a surface? But, you know, um, I don't know where, where you all are, but for me, as, as I've been thinking about this, this weird new world we have, um, it just feels like what we're all doing doing is getting a masterclass in living with uncertainty um, or trying to live or cope with uncertainty, which, by the way, is not a masterclass I think any of us ever really wanted to sign up for. Um, 
so I think we're just all trying to figure out how to to do that. And I guess, Renee, I would look to you because you're the reporter and, and I know you love history and, um, and, and are always good at putting things in perspective. But, you know, have we ever had these such times of uncertainty and, and what do people do with it? Well, yes and no. And yes, I am, as a journalist, always interested in going back and researching the past as prologue to see where we went before and where it can take us now. And, um, you know, most of us, Brett, Will, and Daryl, think that our era and our problems are unique. No one else has ever lived quite the way we have. No one has ever faced quite what we do. And and, and this is a novel uh, coronavirus because novel means it's brand new. No one's ever seen it before. But, you know, history has a lot of similarities. Uh, the human uh, the human population has been threatened and shrunk and grown before. Everyone right now is talking about the Spanish flu, which killed 50 million people from 1918 to 1920. The interesting part for me, though, is not about the science, but about the psychology. How were humans changed by these cataclysmic events? What did they do to the culture? What is that going to do to us? And uh, I guess the short answer is that the long-term effects of a pandemic go well beyond the demographic losses. Uh, pandemics have massive repercussions for society. Uh, the Black Plague, on the one hand, led to fanaticism and blame. It led to the persecution and mass violence against Jews because they were accused of poisoning wells. But on the other hand, it made thinkers focus more on their lives on Earth. So it led to what some people think. Uh, was the birth of the Renaissance. Um, the Spanish flu, uh, you know, people were being, this is really interesting, people were being told to avoid interpersonal contacts and they had rumors that enemy spies were, were spreading the disease. That led to a, um, a climate of suspicion, of mistrust. Uh, that affected individual behavior for decades. It led to a measurable decline in social trust over the following generations. That's been that's been documented. So people for generations felt socially the effects of what happened in that pandemic in 1918. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll I won't wax on forever, but but the point is that what we face now will change us. The uncertainty that we face will change us, and how we react to it will be felt in our artworks, in our thinking, in our economy, uh, in the way we interact with people for for many many years to come. So I, I just want to jump onto one thing that you said, um, which I think becomes a frame for this conversation today, which is, you know, so many people are talking about the science of all this. Thank God. Um, and, and, you know, and wow, we actually have scientists somewhere in that mix talking about the science bonus. Um, but, you know, Renee, you talked about the psychology, and I think that's so important. And I think there is it's absolutely helpful to frame how this changed folks for the long term. I mean, I many people think that um, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the plague. I guess I'm curious because I think we are in a period of uncertainty. We really don't know what the next stage of this will be. We don't know what the future is going to hold, but we do know where we are now. And I'm interested in the psychology of how people are responding now. And Daryl, I look to you again, sitting across um, the lake from our dear New Orleans. How are people responding in New Orleans? What's going on? I mean, in my community, because I'm a comedian and entertainer and stuff like that, we're all kind of going digital. Everybody, I th and I think this is not, uh, one of the things of this, I don't think that these are changes that are going to be permanent in some ways or another. Like, I don't think we're going back in a lot of ways to the way we used to be. I think this pushes a lot of people online and stuff like that. But a lot of the stuff that I've gotten accustomed to in life, you know, shaking hands, 
uh, high fiving people, things of that nature. I don't think we go back to that as a society. I'm a hugger of strangers. I'm a big hugger of strangers, and I don't think uh, this affects me in that way. That I'm not going to do that. Anymore. Wait, so you're not going to hug people anymore? It's affecting like I'm a touchy kind of person when I'm out. You know, like I high five people, I handshake. I don't think society as a whole is going back to that anymore. I agree. I think I think that there are going to be repercussions that change us. That's a very concrete thing. Uh, like maybe we're going to elbow bump from now on instead of shaking hands. I don't know. Maybe we'll all um, be wearing masks. Um, you, you know, like like some countries have have moved to since SARS and MERS and some of those. But I think that there are going to be some sort of cultural shifts and some real fundamental things. For one thing, I think that this shifts our priorities. Do you two agree with that? Don't you think it makes us look at our priorities and decide what is really important and what is not? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I do and I don't. I mean, I... Of course not, because you're spiritually enlightened already. <laughs> no, God knows. Believe me. Boy, have I realized how, how unenlightened I am these last few weeks. You know, it's... it's I've, I've thought about this a, a, just a, a little bit, because I think, I try, or I, I call it thinking. God only knows what it is. But anyway, um, you know, I think it's human nature to have to to enter moments like this, telling ourselves or first asking what the hell is going on. And then I think telling ourselves that we will be changed forever. Um, and I don't think humans change that much fundamentally. I mean, I, I, and when I say fundamentally, I, I think we will um, still want to come out on top. We'll still want to succeed. We'll still, as we want to succeed, push people away to make it to the top. I think we um, humans do crave connection. I know we want. We're going to talk about that a little more uh, in a week or two. I think, and I'm by no means a sociologist or whatever the hell you would call people who study this, but but I think initially there's a hesitance, there a change, and then I think we go back as a society. You know, I think you know. I mean, I remember. Um, uh, you know, the early days of HIV AIDS and it changed things and it didn't change things. Um, I remember 9-11. I lived in Boston. I mean, the terrorist who um, drove the American Airlines planes into the World Trade Center literally stayed in a hotel at the end of my street on September 10th. Um, and we all said never the same. And, you know, people who were vilifying George Bush turned it down a little bit. Um, and, you know, good God, look where we are today. So um, I think there'll be a hesitance at first. I think, you know, it's that it's, it's going to be a little bit like losing your handshake virginity or regaining your handshake virginity all over again. I think that first time it's like, should I? Could I? Would I? You know, I mean, hashtag handshake. Um, you know, it's going to be a little weird, but I think we'll go back. Well, I think in a way what you're saying is that we don't necessarily learn from our past, which is to me kind of a sad thing. But I think in the short term, we will change. In the long term, human beings are human beings. I think that um, I, I do have a quote that I'd like to pop in here, and it's from Frank Snowden, who is a Yale epidemiologist, and he pushed published a book in 2019, which was sort of prescient. It was on epidemic 
epidemics in society and how epidemics change society, exactly what we're talking about. And his point was that um, epidemics are a category of disease that hold up a mirror to human beings. So it's not that it changes us. It makes us look inside at who we are. Um, that is to say, he qu- I quote him, they obviously have everything to do with our relationship to our mortality, to death, to our lives. They reflect our relationships with the environment. They show the moral relationships that we have toward each other as people. And we're seeing that today. So what he's saying is that this mirror we hold up, it makes us look more deeply at who we are. And that mirror can reflect both our dark side and our heroic side. So that um, the way we respond depends on our values, on our commitments, on our sense of humanity. And that can either bring that out or it can suppress it based on who you are as a person. So I find that endlessly fascinating that this may change us in deep fundamental ways on an individual basis, even if you're saying maybe as a society, not so much. Bingo. That's exactly what I would say, because I think I think that's it. I mean, I, as I think, you know, Renee, I take a pretty long view of things. Um, I think how long the planet's been here, how long the universe has been here, I, you know, um, how long we as a as a as a species have been here. And I don't think um, you have, you know, I think it's rare for there to be seismic shifts that change an entire civilization. But I but but. I do think we are a collective of individuals who individually evolve. That is why we are in our bodies. That is why we are breathing our breaths, is to evolve in some way. And there will be individuals who change. Um, and you know, they may never really know what those changes are. We may not know what those changes are as we live them. But but we will. I think disasters, and I think we found this with Katrina, either bring out the best of us or the worst of us. And maybe that's all I'm saying. Yeah. And sometimes it's in between. Mm-hmm. I think they, you know, they are a change. I mean, a disease is a change. An epidemic is a change. We are living through a change. I happen to think that's all that life is. I happen to think that, you know, life is nothing but uncertainty. The only thing we know beyond our first breath, literally the only thing you know is that you will have a first breath and you will have a last breath. All the rest is a big question mark. But I think this uncertainty we were dealing with now, I I applaud you for that because I think that you are on a level that's far beyond most of most of us uncertainties now are, am I going to get a paycheck? Am I going to be able to buy groceries? Am I going to be able to survive? Um, And I think that's the visceral sort of fear that uncertainty provokes in us. Uh, Yes, there's an existential threat, but there's also a very immediate threat that causes fear. This is a fear response. Are you too scared? That's a good question. I I mean, I've been a hypochondriac my whole life. What's weird is... So, Daryl, it's the same old, yeah. same old. Here we go. <laughs> uh, oddly, I'm not. I thought I would be more scared. I kind of flip-flop back and forth, though. Like two days ago, I was sitting here thinking about ventilators. And then today, I was like, you know what? Like, I, there's a good likelihood I'm going to get this. And maybe I need to start wrapping my head around the fact that, like, if I get it, what do I do? And start game planning for that and quarantining the side of my house off and and just accepting that I may actually get sick and that, you know... I think I can beat it. Maybe like I want to know that I can beat it. I feel pretty healthy right now. So, but I I do go, (laughs) I I go back and forth. Definitely. Like depending the later the night is, the more I worry about actually being sick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, do you have those like 3 a.m. or yeah, 2 a.m. panics? Do. I do too. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, could we just, during times like this, could we just tell 2 to 5 a.m. to just take a hike or quarantine <laughs> those hours? Like they're not allowed. You know, it's like there's no 13th floor in a skyscraper. Like we're just going to go from 1 a.m. to 5.30 and be done. You know, Renee, to your question, am I scared? Sometimes, yeah. I but I um, and to be clear, you know, when I talk about um, we know only two things: our first and our last breath. Um, that doesn't mean that's the only thing I know. I mean, I know that I worry about having a check. I am very very worried about my mom. I am worried about her health, that she is in an assisted living community that is on lockdown, that thank God thus far there has been no illness. They haven't even had the flu yet this year. Um, But I'm worried about my mom's health. I'm worried about my aunt's health. I'm worried about my mom's finances. Mm -hmm. um, Because when when those finances are gone, I will be the one who has to make up the difference. Right. And that is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I I look at that as um, how do you respond? Because I think that to me is, I guess, what I'm trying to say is, look, we can't change the science here. We can't change the odds, quite frankly. Um, we, we can't even change how many respirators we're going to have right now. Those are in hands beyond ours. Um, I can't worry about, well, I have work and the more worried I am, the more work I'll have. It doesn't work that way. So when I first started this little whatever shaman, existential, whatever journey you want to call it, one of the things I was taught was to sort of separate words. So I think of um, trying to be fearless. That doesn't mean no fear, but it means less fear. Mm -hmm. And the way I do that is by just practicing, um, trying to be, to find some way of getting through these times, some way of, I wouldn't say comfortable with uncertainty, because I think if you're comfortable with this, you're out of your friggin' mind, or had no mind, and certainly have no compassion. Um, but I do have a practice where that helps me deal with this on a daily basis. Is that something all of us should aspire to? And how, how do we implement that? Um, I mean, I think it's your choice if you want to aspire to it. I think in well, I terms think we of all do want to aspire to it. I mean, I think we all do want to be calm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, it's not calm. It's just I have a little less fear, and um, and you know, I um, I have fiddled with my practice over the last couple of weeks um, as we've all tried to get a handle on what the hell is going on. Um, you know, this is be- this used to be remote and now it's in my life. It's in each of your lives. Um, and so, you know, so I've kind of tried to calibrate a practice and, and my practice now is really simple. I try to find um, some sense of quiet when I first wake up. Right, we're all quiet. We try to be quiet when we're asleep. It's really hard to be quiet when you're awake. So I cuddle with the dog for a couple of minutes. I try to focus on my breath while I brush my teeth. Maybe I read a couple of pages of a book. It's not long. Some, this morning it was probably three minutes. I try to do that. I try to ground myself in the facts. When I'm on social media, when I read newspapers, um, I look for facts. And I tell myself that's what I'm looking to. So I avoid that sensation of going to a grocery store when you're hungry and buying a bunch of stuff you don't need. 
You know, I tell myself I'm looking for facts. So this morning, one of the facts I really loved that I found was, you know, Tony Fauci sort of explaining where we're at. Like, I love grounding with him. You know, I also uh, try to um, not get attached to anything beyond today. So what I mean by that is I and my partner and I do the same thing with each other. You know, I have a job. I have a paycheck today. Today, I am healthy and my loved ones are healthy. Um, today, the sun's out, you know, and I don't, I don't get that what the Buddhists or the meditators call monkey mind. I don't say, wow, I hope it's sunny tomorrow. It's just like, oh, this is today. You know, today I did my laundry before we started recording this. Um, and, um, you know, I try to be a little more intentional with my meditation and to be honest, a little more generous with my gin. <laughs> and when you put all those things together, you know, quiet, facts, present, intentional Jen. with meditation, generous with gin, um, that's what I do. Well, you know, you know, and it makes me fear. It makes me less fearful. It's interesting because you really are a New Orleanian at heart. I can tell your soul belongs in this city. And the reason I say that is because I was reading something, um, you know, in all of my research about this. And one of the psychologists I read said that the best way to deal with this and with the uncertainty of this is to live in the moment, to put yourself in the moment. And by and to do that, you might just do things like look around and and name five things you see. I see a dog, I see a cloud, I see my, you know, whatever, so that you are are just making yourself focus on the moment. And um and I think New Orleans do that. New Orleanians do that. I think people in our city maybe more, I would argue than other places know acceptance and they know how to live in the moment and they certainly know how to pour the gin. So between the gin and living in the moment, I I I think you're a good citizen. I try. And, you know, the other thing I would say, and it's so funny because um, even here in Texas, you know, my heart and soul and spirit, I think, are will forever be in New Orleans. I don't know what past life experience we had, but it was a doozy because we're pretty attached. Um, but it was funny to me when this was first starting. And, Renee, you and I talked about this. You know, the one of the first waves of this were people going, what the hell has the federal government been doing? How are we not prepared for this? And in New Orleans, it's like, well, of course the government's not prepared. <laughs> we have experience. Of course. Of course, people, of course, elected officials don't know what we're doing. I should pause here and say my cousin is the senior elected official in Dallas, Dallas County. He does know what he's doing, but there ain't many of them out there, you know? And I think so in New Orleans, that first wave of, we don't have a first wave of disbelief of, why wasn't someone watching this? You know, our first wave or among our first waves is really that, well, so what are we going to do? Well, our first, and wave, I have our first wave was, well, of course, nobody was watching that because, you know, we learned in Katrina and other disasters that they never do. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh, yeah. And, no, I mean, my God, you know, we learned. I mean, my God, if you're in New Orleans, you could have a top 10 list of government failures, even if you've only lived there for five years. Um, and that wouldn't be ex exhaustive. Um, but I think what's cool with New Orleans, and I have tried to... To share this with my um, Yankee friends up north um, is New Orleans. New Orleanians, we are wired that our first response isn't necessarily disbelief that government has failed. Our first response is to look out our window, to look down our street, and to go, "What do you need?" Yes, I agree. What do you need? You know, I have told people up north that I've said, "Well, you know, check on your elderly neighbors." Like, and they're like, what do you mean? We don't know them. I'm like, I don't care. 
you know, you just knock on a door and say, are you okay? And I think that is one of the ways, you know, to me, that's part of being what I call present. I think that's part of how you deal with uncertainty is you check on everybody else to see how they're doing. And that is na- our, that is second nature in New Orleans. Daryl, you came from Florida to New Orleans, right? Yes, ma'am. How long ago? Thank God. Uh, we've been here about eight years now. So do you see, uh, do you perceive a difference across the country? Do you think New Orleanians react to disaster differently than other oh, people? Yeah, they're just more grounded in response. Like you said, they're more uh, taking care of neighbors. Like it's the street party mentality they have there. Like, you know, your neighbors in New Orleans more than you do anywhere else. I don't think that there's like, that's a foreign concept to a lot of people up North where I've lived in other places. Even you don't really know your neighbors and the city has so much things going on outside most of the time for the summers and for Mardi Gras that at some point you don't have any choice, but to meet your neighbor. So I think it's just more connected neighborly that way. And I think it's the neighborly response is if someone needs something, you just give them what they need. Like Brett will said, and uh, it's and I think Katrina definitely showed that city that you had to count on each other more than you counted on your government officials at that point. And I think that's carried over. It's kind of like we're talking about now how some of this is going to carry over into the future, whatever it looks like. You know, it changed people. I think this is going to do the same kind of thing that that did, which is kind of make people more neighborly, because at some point that's all you had was your neighbor during that time. You know, I I read something from the American Psychological Association um, about the fact that novel threats, which and this is a novel virus, raises anxiety higher than more familiar threats do. So if it's the flu, you know it, you're more aware of it. If it's something that's never been in the on the world in the world before, your anxiety ratchets up a lot more. But they also found that the norm, the normal reaction, the common reaction to that is brave behavior. People are brave, people face it, people are strong. And the reason we don't think that is is two, twofold. One, we don't get a simple, credible message from our government. It tells us everything's okay. We're going to get through this, which you hear from some people, but not from a lot of our leaders. And there's also a lot of hyperbole in the media so that they, you know, the, that's the downside of being so connected technologically these days is that we hear the hysteria and the screaming and the whatever. But generally, people react with bravery and strength and camaraderie. And so maybe the rest of the world will be more like New Orleans after this. Uh, And I'm not saying we're better than other people. I'm just saying that we're more connected than other people and that we reach out to help more than other people. And so maybe that is going to be a dividend. I hope so. You know, I love that. First of all, New Orleans, we are better than, or at least the city is better than other cities. Let's just be clear. (laughs) Um, But, um, but I, you know, I love what you said, Renee, um, because I think it is something we forget, right? And, you know, we are, and, you know, I can get on a soapbox about this, Renee, but I won't. Um, (laughs) You know, we are so conditioned in modern society to look outside for solutions, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So we go and take workshops. We sign up for a yoga class. We we do this via web apps. We, you know, Mm -hmm. we're always looking for people to tell us what to do. And I have nothing against learning, Mm -hmm. but we forget get how very resilient we all are. Right. Humans are wired for resilience. Right. I mean, you know, there's a ton of viruses, I, and that's all 
all because I'm not a scientist, but you know, but I have read in a scientific publication in the last few weeks there are a ton of viruses we come in contact with all the time. By the way, they think that a huge number of folks who encounter and who get COVID nineteen will show very mild to almost untraceable symptoms. Now, the danger, of course, is transmission um, to folks who are less resilient. But we are resilient. We are brave. I think it's brave to be a human. I think it's brave to walk out of your house every day. It's brave to be in love. It's brave to go through this. So um, I really thank you, Renee, for for sharing that because I think you know maybe if there's any reason for us to do this episode – and now that we're you know almost to the end, maybe Daryl, you can edit it and put it up front. Um, is just to remind ourselves, even in uncertainty, um, even amidst fear, we are brave beings. We are resilient, you know. And I think that feels like a nice place to uh, to wrap this first episode of season two up, which is um, while there is a lot we don't know, while most of what we would like to know we don't know, um, I think, you know, we are, uh, we are wired as a species um, to move through this. We are wired as a species, perhaps, to contradict what I said earlier, um, to evolve through this. And, um, you know, I hope we can use... Um, part of this podcast this season, um, maybe to have conversations just again and again to check in, not only on how we're doing, uh, but where we are in that journey. Yes. And I would I would like to ask both of you, and I can offer this too in closing, and that is, tell me one thing that has helped you combat the uncertainty and the fear. One thing that has given you hope in the past week or two. New Orleans is a very hopeful place. So what's what's keeping you sane? What what's what's keeping you afloat these days? I would say for me, I hate to lean back on it, but I've been able to like I I zoomed with my mother the other day and uh, she didn't know like there's an app now where you can go and like video chat and stuff like that. So being able to walk her through that and stuff, it was some this is a memory I didn't think I'd ever form with my mom was doing stuff like that. But it's one that I have now, like walking her through and having a video conference. So really technology is keeping me alive and connected right now. So I'm glad I know how to use it. Um, I guess a, techno- a combination of technology and gin. Uh, my favorite, I think among certainly my top three or four favorite, most hopeful moments occurred last night uh, where I just had a simple Bluetooth to Bluetooth virtual happy hour with a, an old friend of mine. She and I used to uh, we both used to be in politics and national politics, and we both used to throw a few back at the uh, iconic New Orleans bar that's called the John, which those of you who aren't from New Orleans um, might want to know. It's called the John because it has literally has gold-plated toilets inside it as seats. And uh, so Kathy and I, she called me while I was coming back from the grocery store, and we just agreed to have a happy hour. It only lasted 20 minutes. But in that time... I realized um, that New Orleans uh, is with is always in us. Um, that you know you all that you home is something within you. Friendship is something you always carry, uh, and no amount of physical isolation can change that. And that gives me hope. 
Well, I think that's a good place to close with a, a little Valentine to New Orleans and a reassurance that we can all still connect virtually, if not physically or literally. Uh, that's what's keeping us all sane these days in these times of uncertainty. Thank you, Daryl, so much for being with us and joining our family today on Everyday Wonder. Brett Will, we're we're glad to be back at the table having those conversations that people want to have but can never really find the time or the right people to have them with. We hope to offer that to you. We hope that you'll stay tuned for the next episode of Everyday Wonder and that you will uh, share your views with us and send us out into the world via your social media because that's the way the world is working these days. Uh, with Everyday Wonder, I'm Renee Peck, and we'll see you next time. Such a beautiful place.